Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi I <laughs> Welcome to Kitty's Birthday House. My brother's name is Ozzy and I'm Die Boy. Thank you for missing from Mommy's podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I am your host Jordan and I am so grateful that you have chosen to have me in your ears today. If you don't know me, I'm a mum of two. I have Jai who's three and Ali who has just gone one and a half and it is a busy little household in our house. I also have a business baby alongside Kiwi Birth Tales which is your birth project and your birth project is an online hypnobirthing course designed to help you create your best birth. We also have our first in-person class coming up in Papamoa in May. So if you're around and you're pregnant, make sure you check that out online. It is also a pregnancy, birth and postpartum related store with everything that you can need during those times. There's some beautiful toolkits that I've put together, little bundles um, for pregnancy, birth prep and postpartum recovery as well. So make sure you go and check those out. It has felt like I have lived an entire year in this week <laughs> it's a public holiday today and I'm committed to getting you this episode but we had a really um serious and scary health scare I guess in our house over the weekend um and it's really just put into perspective a lot of things for us so alongside um the sleep deprivation that came with a hospital trip <laughs> it's just been a real eye-opener in terms of what's important and like looking after yourself and getting regular health checks so if you're listening to this episode and you've been putting off um getting a checkup or you've been putting off you know a symptom or a sign that something's not quite right please go and get it checked um book an appointment go and talk to your GP like yeah make sure that you're doing those things because you don't want it to um you know end up being too late or too far down the track or whatever that looks like so and hate to be morbid (laughs) but we did have a really scary weekend um and just a reminder I guess of how quickly life can change so we're very much on a health bandwagon in our house now um and also very much just grateful for each other and for our lives and I know that sounds a bit woo-woo sometimes, but I'm truly grateful to be doing what we do, spending time with our loved ones, and I'm grateful that you, you know, choose this podcast to listen to, and that I have the ability um, to be with you, and sharing these stories, and having this platform, so yeah, just feeling very grateful for our health, our well-being, and all these opportunities that are coming our way, um... Anyway, I'm blabbering on now, so let me tell you what is coming up in this episode today. It is such a beautiful episode with the lovely Becca. She is a midwife herself, um, and she has a little son named Miller. He's about seven and a half months old. Um, And yeah, she's just got a really beautiful story to share with us. I will let you know that she does um, touch on a previous sexual assault when she was younger. She doesn't go in depth about any of the details, um, but if that doesn't feel like something that you, you know, want to hear about at all, then maybe this episode isn't for you, but she definitely doesn't go into detail. It's sort of just um, touched on as part of her story. But what does she tell us today? So she talks us through um, trying to fall pregnant, trying to conceive and male factor infertility. So it was her husband Alex um, that they found out has male factor infertility and then that meant that they were really struggling to get pregnant so they got some support um, through Fertility Associates. She talks us through that journey and then into planning a home birth and they live rural so Um, She knew it might be a little bit of a challenge to find a midwife that was willing to support that. So she talks us through her pregnancy journey. She's also your birth project mama, which is amazing. I actually didn't know that she'd done the course. Um, 
So she gives us her experience with that and sort of how that helped her in labor and birth as well. And then she has the most beautiful home birth story to share with us. Um, just a totally positive journey and such a positive postpartum recovery as well. She's got heaps of advice woven in there and it's so nice to hear from a mid- midwife, um, you know, from her perspective. So I know you're going to love this episode. I'd love to hear your feedback. If you want to send me a message, do so at Kiwi Birth Tales or at Your Birth Project on Instagram. You can find me, Jordan, at KiwiBirthTales.com on email or find me on the World Wide Web <laughs> at KiwiBirthTales.com com or www.yourbirthproject.com okay long intro I promised you're going to love the episode let's jump into it hey Becca thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today thank you for having me along it's so exciting to finally chat with you in person after all these years of me recommending <laughs> the podcast and um, your birth project to all of my clients so so cool to finally chat with you Thank you. I'm very glad to have you here. And would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yep. So I'm Becca. I am 28 years old um, from the North Waikato and um, I'm an LMC midwife. I'm married to my husband, Alex, um, and we now have a little seven and a half month old baby boy called Miller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing very cool and we're going to hear all about um yeah your journey to pregnancy and your birth and what mm-hmm. it's been like with little miller for the last seven and a half yes. months um <laughs> and also might be yeah interesting to get some perspective from um you know your journey as an lmc as well so really looking forward to that but yep. maybe if we start with what your journey was like to pregnancy and yeah what that looked like for you and balance yeah so um, it, it was totally different to what I thought it would be. Um, when I met Alex, I, had a, I wasn't on any contraception at the time. So I haven't been on any contraception for about eight years now. Um, and so yeah. I thought it would be really simple. Like always had quite regular cycles. And we had that discussion when we met. I was like, I don't want to go on anything. So what are your thoughts? And we just did um, – like I tracked my cycle and natural family planning for years. And then after we'd been married for two years, I think it was the end of 2020, we decided to start trying um, for a baby. And suddenly like my cycles just went completely out of whack. Um, they have been mm. regular for so long. So I started getting a little anxious that like something was happening for me. Maybe I wasn't ovulating and I um reached out to a beautiful naturopath called Katie um, and we just made a bit of a plan together. So she had me doing all sorts of things. Um, The main one was like just focusing on my stress levels through my work. So I had like this whole sleep hygiene routine going, um, lots of herbs and supplements and stuff. And I also got acupuncture at the time, which um, I know all of those things combined were really helpful because within two cycles, like it was back to normal. Um, And then after six months, like things just were still not pregnant. It wasn't happening for us. So Mm. I thought I'll take it one step further. And I just reached out to my GP and just asked for a full um, like blood work um, panel. And then, yeah, that all came back normal. So I actually, even after just six months, I just thought, what's the harm like I asked the GP to refer us to fertility associates just to kind of get a Mm. second opinion hoping like they would just say yeah everything's fine keep trying (laughs) um but like looking back I'm so thankful that that's what I did um after just such a short time of trying because um we got in to see fertility associates a couple of months after that um, and my husband had to do um, a semen analysis and at the very start of our consult like this doctor that we saw just started asking Alex um, all these questions about like his childhood and if he'd had any injuries when he was younger or any surgeries Mm. and I just thought oh my goodness I know exactly where this is going Um, Mm -hmm. And we were diagnosed with male factor infertility. And she said to us on the spot, like it would be an absolute miracle if you were to conceive naturally. Uh, And we recommend Mm -hmm. starting IVF and we recommend doing ICSI, which is um, where they actually like inject the sperm directly into the egg to try and optimize the chance of fertilization. Um, But unfortunately, the 
like process that you go to to figure out whether you can get cycles funded through fertility associates it's kind of based on like a scoring system so mm-hmm. you have to have like multiple factors that add to your scoring to figure out how long the wait list would be to go public and for us right. it was going to be a four-year wait and I just oh, yeah. like I could not have done that um working in the role that I do and I just really struggled like even after mm. I think that was eight months at that point like I was getting texts from women every day saying hey I've just found out I'm pregnant mm. and every month I'm yeah. getting negative tests and it was a real struggle um so that's when we decided to go private and uh, they said to us like if you're going private you can just choose whenever you want to begin we'll just start you on your next cycle or um, you can wait for a few more cycles which we did we then went back to Katie the naturopath and she had Alex start taking a few supplements and things um, and working on like yeah again trying to optimize the chance of us conceiving and we just gave it three cycles so that we'd been trying for a full year before we decided to go down the IVF route um mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it got to the full year, and I contacted them as soon as I got my period and said, we want to begin. Um, mm. And funny enough, like, when I called them, I just, as soon as I got off the phone, I just had this gut feeling. I was like, no, something does not feel right. I just, I'm not ready for it. Um, we were in the thick of COVID still, which was horrible, and mm. all the appointments through Fertility Associates, like, I was having to go to by myself, which didn't make sense to me when like Alex is just an as equal mm. part in our journey um and even the egg collection I was going to have to go through that alone and um I mentioned to you as well like I've got a history of PTSD so mm. going through that procedure alone um and I think like the sedatives that they give you was a real big thing I just was so anxious about the lack of control and not having somebody that could act as a voice for me if I needed it Mm. so I called them back and I was like no we're not doing it this month um we'll just wait a little bit longer and we waited one more month and then I called them and it it felt right like I'd kind of worked through what I needed to work through Uh, Mm. I'd actually written fertility associates this big long letter saying um like talking about my history and what my concerns were and yeah. they gave us an exemption for Alex to be able to come to the egg collection, uh, which was great. And then I just asked for like the lowest possible dose of the medication. So I still felt like I was in control. Um, and the team were just incredible at making sure like, yeah, they were with me every step of the way. And I kind of understood mm-hmm. everything that was happening and talking me through it. So, yeah, that was really good. And we were so, so lucky to conceive first cycle, first Mm. transfer, like we got four little embryos. So we've still got three um, embryos that are frozen and Miller was our first, yeah, first transfer, which is Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, that is amazing. And I guess I've got a couple of questions and I just reflect on Mm -hmm. what you've shared. So the first would be, um, you mentioned the doctor asking Alex, like, had he had any injuries and and about his his infertility. Did he have any, like, anything that would lead him to believe that that would have impacted? No, not at all. Like, no Mm. um, surgeries, no major injuries, nothing that we could think of. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so there's no real reason behind it. Yeah. And yeah. he's still yet to go, like, he's been referred to the public system for some further testing, mm-hmm. but he's yet to have that. So, yeah, yeah it's really hard to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And what about the private funding, if you don't mind sharing? Um, how mm-hmm. much did that actually cost for you and Alex to do it privately? Yeah, we were lucky in that aspect where the main cost, I guess, for an IVF cycle is based on the medications that you take. Um, Mm -hmm. So you pay in three separate portions. One, or this is through Fertility Associates, but I'm not sure about the other places. Um, The first portion is paying for your medications. And then the second is the embryo, oh, sorry, the egg collection. And then the third is the embryo transfer. 
So mm-hmm. um, I was only on the lowest dose of medications given that it was for male factor infertility, not for any um, like concerns for myself. And then um, total cost, I think, was around $15,000 that we paid for one mm-hmm. full cycle and transfer. And do they keep yeah. your um, other three embryos, I think you said? Do you have to pay for that to happen? Yes. Yeah, we have to pay, I believe it's a six-monthly fee, um, mm-hmm. around 200 or so dollars every six months okay. that we pay just to keep our embryos stored for as long as we choose to. Okay. Yeah. And how did you, like you mentioned, you know, you're trying to have a baby and you're conscious of getting these negative tests every month, but you've got mm. women texting you every day saying that you're pregnant and <laughs> like, obviously that's your, um, your job. So how did you find anything that was like able to, you know, like put a barrier between the way that you were feeling or was it just like all consuming? Um, yeah, I guess, how did you mentally cope with that time? Yeah, I um, I've, yeah, I've really struggled, but I knew like I needed to separate my journey from mm. the journey that everyone else is going through, and you never know what other people are going through. Like they could have been through this huge journey to get to where they are mm. as well, um, which I always had to remember, and I just like was still so happy for everyone that was texting me saying mm. that they were pregnant, um, and so passionate about my job but I think the main thing that I had to do I kind of got to the point where as midwives like we we work some very long hours and Mm. um in the past I've always just done it but I got to the point where I started to reach out to my colleagues for more support and put a limit on myself and say like if you've been with somebody or you've been awake for 18 hours you need to call in a backup because it's not Mm. safe for you to be working but you also need to be looking after your own body a little bit better. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess that was the main thing and really focusing on the like goals that my naturopath had set with me in terms of like making sure that I was um, getting enough sleep and doing things that were helping to de-stress me outside of work as well. And I actually, uh, so I should not have done this. (laughs) We joke about it now. One of my clients, um, I was with her in labor and um, I stayed up until about 3 a.m. the morning of my embryo transfer. And I just, <laughs> now I'm like, why did I do that? But it all worked out, <laughs> yeah. so I can't think like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Cool. And so you find out that you're pregnant. Take us through, mm-hmm. um, did you do a positive test? Did you get the phone call after blood work? What did that look like and how were you feeling? And yeah, what happened next? Yeah, so we, um, me and my husband had agreed that we weren't going to test until mm-hmm. the morning of the blood. So you do um, blood work when you are four weeks pregnant. And I think it was two days beforehand. I had like tried not to. And I just grabbed this test that was sitting in my bedside table. And I got up first thing in the morning, went to the bathroom, peed on a stick, and it came up like very clearly positive straight away um Mm -hmm. so I didn't like record my reaction I didn't believe that it was going to happen and Alex was just leaving to go to work and I yelled out to him and I said it's positive and Mm -hmm. the first thing he said to me was you promised you weren't going to test like (laughs) I was in trouble or something but I came out of the bathroom and he just gave me this huge smile and hug and yeah it was very exciting um Mm -hmm. we shared like i kept my family in the loop throughout our whole like um trying to conceive journey and through the IVF stuff because I just felt I needed that extra support and I told Mm. a couple of my close friends as well um but we hadn't shared with Alex's family so it it was really cool still being able to have like that exciting news to um share with people and then I went and got the blood test at four weeks and that afternoon I was actually in pack and save with one of my good friends and we were just shopping along and I get a phone call from fertility associates and they um, told me yeah that my blood work had come back HCG levels were really good and I just burst into tears in the middle of pack and save (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. amazing very cool and from there did you find your own midwife what did you decide to do for your care 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I got a beautiful midwife called Jo. Um, I, it, it was a little bit of a struggle because you want somebody that you know, like, and you know their practice, but you don't know them too well. Um, mm-hmm. And I also live about 40 minutes north of Hamilton. So mm-hmm. wanted somebody that was comfortable um, with a rural home birth because I'd always really, really wanted to birth at home. But my mum had preeclampsia with every pregnancy that she had. And so I knew that there was a higher chance that might happen to me as well. Uh, So I kind of was trying to find somebody that was confident in all areas. Like, Mm. yeah, really keen to support me with the home birth, but also um, happy to like support me in the hospital if I absolutely needed to be there too. So a couple of years back, I was actually out for a walk with um, Joe and a couple of other midwives. And I'd said to them, like, I'd love to have home birth when I have a baby. But I'm just worried it would be a struggle to find somebody that's comfortable doing a rural home birth. And Joe mm. was like, I would be more than happy to do that. So as soon as I got pregnant, I was like, I need Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and I texted her straight yeah. away like the morning I got the positive test and she was like oh my goodness don't be silly of course I'll take you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah oh, amazing very cool and what did your first trimester look like did you have pregnancy symptoms how were you feeling mm-hmm. through that? yeah I think my very first symptoms and why I wasn't convinced that I was pregnant is because it was just like I was about to get my period. I always would get mm. um, quite sore breasts and like lower back ache for just one day leading up to my period. But this lasted for a couple of days. Um, mm-hmm. And then first trimester, like I wasn't, I wasn't vomiting a lot, but I was just so nauseous that I could barely eat anything. So I lost about mm. five kilos over that first trimester. Um and working and like going to births and stuff was really difficult as well with some of the mm. smells and body fluids and things that you're dealing with. <laughs> yeah. I just vividly remember I was like cleaning up some blood um, from one of my clients. I was about six weeks pregnant and she looked at me and she was like, I hope you'd never have to go through this. And here I am. Like, oh my goodness. I'm six weeks pregnant right now. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I just felt like I was very emotional compared to what I normally am. Um, my husband, is a volunteer firefighter and he was away at a training course for a full week when I was about nine weeks pregnant and I normally do like all the cooking and I I couldn't even step foot in the kitchen throughout my whole pregnancy Mm. so he had to step up and he'd be making me breakfast lunch and dinner otherwise I just wouldn't eat and because he was away for a whole week like I think I just lived on ice blocks (laughs) (laughs) and um cheeseburgers those are my two cravings yeah so first trimester was I mean it wasn't terrible I could deal with it um but then the other symptom that I had right from about five weeks throughout pregnancy was sacroiliac pain and that got really bad like I was in tears a number of times throughout pregnancy I planned to continue going to body fit throughout pregnancy and um by about like nine or ten weeks I just contacted them and said I just can't like I'm just in Mm. far too much pain so it kind of gave me this whole new respect for people that have pelvic pain during pregnancy because I never Mm. realized just how bad it could actually get yeah that's awful and how um did you go about testing in your first trimester did you do like did you want to do all the standard testing that's offered to you in pregnancy and yeah what did you choose to do in your first trimester yeah, we um we had a dating scan as part of um the process through Fertility Associates at about seven and a half weeks, and then we chose to do the NIPT test. So we did the testing um for the chromosomal abnormalities, but we chose not to find out the gender. So we didn't know that Miller was a little boy until he was born. Um, and then I also did the twelve week um nuchal translucency scan just to check that there were no other sort of um physical abnormalities I guess and yeah yeah, and then the 20 week scan and apart from that we didn't have any other um scans throughout pregnancy um I did the first lot of initial antenatal bloods and then I um chose to decline the polypost testing um for gestational diabetes 
just because I figured like there were other ways that we could watch out for that and um Mm. yeah it's just not something that I chose to do awesome very cool and what about like um your thoughts on birth and like I know usually you'd attend like antenatal courses or do some type of birth education um (laughs) but you are the person that helps people to give birth (laughs) what were your thoughts around doing things like that and was there anything that you found like particularly helpful from a birth education or like just refreshing kind of perspective yeah I we actually did go to antenatal classes more so for me like to be able to meet other mums that were in a similar um stage of their lives and then obviously for Alex to learn a bit more as well which Mm. I think like I didn't realize how much she already knew just from being married to a midwife but it was a good (laughs) little refresher for both of us Um, and then I did your birth project as well which I loved um and just practicing I guess like the breathing techniques and um I made sure taking some of that advice like not listening to any negative stories and Mm. um working through any fears that I had I think one of the bigger ones was like me planning a home birth and living rurally my sister was pregnant at the same time as me and she gave birth six weeks before me and she had a two liter postpartum hemorrhage Mm -hmm. so it was Mm -hmm. a lot for me to kind of um yeah unpack and think like oh you know sometimes sisters and mums and daughters have similar labors and births so I um yeah I just had to make sure that I was prepared for Mm. that and I just had confidence you know like personally I feel confident managing um a PPH and I'm sure that my midwives do as well and we had everything that we needed just in case awesome cool and so you've mentioned a few times that you're planning a home birth um Mm -hmm. talk us through did you have any pregnancy complications and um what did your plans for a home birth look like yeah I um tried to avoid like developing preeclampsia obviously with my mum's history so I took Mm. aspirin throughout pregnancy uh, which is really probably one of the only things that you can do. And yeah. uh, the only thing that popped up during pregnancy was while I was delivering a baby, um, my while my client was pushing her baby out, I was having contractions more frequently than what she was having. And yeah. I was only 32 weeks pregnant, I think, at the time. So the doctor took one look at me and she was like, get next door to the women's assessment unit. So I went next door and got checked out and it turned out it was just um, like dehydration. I'd been drinking plenty of water, but I hadn't been eating enough actually. So um, my cervix was closed and long and they eventually settled down after I'd had something to eat and some rest, but that was quite a scare. (laughs) Mm, Um, But other than that, yeah, pregnancy was really good um other than the pain but I didn't have any complications um Miller was growing perfectly and yeah there was no reason why the plans for home birth had to change or we had to chat about any other options I guess even though myself like I'm a very organized person and Mm -hmm. like to prepare for any scenario so I still had like a bag packed and I had a birth plan um for just in case we did need to be in the hospital yeah so I was um, always aiming for that home birth and hopeful for that and I think one of the main reasons that I wanted to birth at home was just because of my history with PTSD um, from the sexual assault when I was younger I was really nervous of like birthing in the hospital with um, I know like sometimes the doctors will just kind of knock on the door and walk into the room without Mm -hmm. consent and um sometimes like having to speak up and say like no I don't want an exam it just feels like more effort than it was worth I just wanted the Mm -hmm. intimacy and privacy of being in my own space and only having people that I wanted there um there was still at the time limitations on the number of people that you could have as support so Mm -hmm. I think it was only one person so I only would have been able to have Alex there um I'd only decided late pregnancy to have my mum who ended up coming to my birth but I we had booked Kat Smith to photograph my birth and I was like well if we birth in the hospital obviously she can't be there so we're not going (laughs) to the hospital (laughs) 
Awesome. And when you sort of think about like your plans around the home birth, did you um, want to have a birth pool there? Did you have any other sort of like comfort methods, like a TENS machine or anything like that, that you had planned to use? Yeah, I had everything that I could think of. Um, (laughs) We hired a birth pool and unfortunately we didn't get to use it, but I was never really attached to it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like, bars and and baths Mm. I only ever use them when I'm feeling sick so or sore like I use the spa pool nearly every day for my pelvic pain and pregnancy (laughs) um but yeah I was never hugely attached to a water birth I was keen to give it a go and see if I liked it during labor but we just didn't have a chance to fill it up because it Mm. all kind of happened so quickly in the end yeah um but I had TENS machine I had a birth cone, um, I had my diffuser with a few different essential oils, birth affirmations, um, gosh, I had honestly yeah, everything that I could <laughs> think and prepare myself for. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And were you doing anything in preparation for birth? Like were you doing the dates and the raspberry leaf tea, antenatal expressing, perennial massage, any of the good stuff that <laughs> you can find yes. that will tell you it'll help with your labor <laughs> yeah again I did everything I could think of um yeah. I did I did like that Naturofarm birth prep spray the six dates yeah. a day evening primrose oil we did perineal massage like every other night from 34 weeks and I actually noticed a huge difference even before going into mm. labor um how much softer like those muscles were and so yeah. glad that I did that as well. Um, I did the antenatal colostrum expressing. And again, very lucky we did because Miller wouldn't latch for the first 48 hours or so. So I had mm. all of that kind of stored away to use. So I still was able to have my colostrum. Um, yeah, everything. I did it. Mm. <laughs> I just, in my mind, I was like, if I don't do it and I don't have the birth that I hope for, I'm going to look back and think, oh, I should have mm. done that. And I didn't yeah. want to feel like that afterwards. I also did a lot of um, acupuncture and saw an osteo um, each week from about 37 weeks leading up to birth too for that labour prep stuff. Awesome. And take us through the end stages of your pregnancy. Um, how were you feeling? How far along were you if you went into spontaneous labour and then into your labour and birth story? Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, so um I like prepared myself to go to 42 weeks in my mind. I was like if you kind of just have that as your expectation from the beginning mm. you don't get disappointed when you get to your due date and you haven't met your baby um yeah. so I got to 40 weeks and three days pregnant and I was just obviously on maternity leave by that point um I decided that morning that I was going to get my breast pump out and wash all of the parts and sterilize it just in case I needed it so I was in the kitchen actually washing my breast pump when I felt this like trickle of fluid between my legs. And I thought to myself, like, that's really weird because I haven't wet myself. Like, I've got a pretty strong pelvic floor mm-hmm. um, like so far throughout pregnancy. So surely I haven't just peed myself and it was definitely watery. It wasn't mucousy. So I said to Alex, I think my waters have just broken. Um, and the first thing he did was rush out the door to try and get all of his jobs on the farm all sorted. <laughs> and I actually went and had a shower and then I put a maternity pad in and still like I wasn't getting a lot of fluid whatsoever. Um, it wasn't for about another hour that I was confident. It was definitely my waters that had broken because I suddenly just started soaking through all of these pads. And I just mm. gave my midwife a heads up and said, I haven't had any signs or like any um, tightenings or contractions yet. So just letting you know this is the case. The waters are nice and clear. Um, and I'll let you know if anything more happens. And, um, yeah, from there I started to get a little anxious, thinking, oh, my goodness, what if I don't go into labor overnight? Mm. Um, I just – 
I saw like that home birth starting to slip away because mm. of all the conversations that we'd have to be having around that 24 hour mark with no labor. So yeah. that morning I just thought, you know, I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to get myself into labor or try as best I can. Um, so I organized to meet up with a colleague that afternoon who did acupuncture on me Um a little bit <laughs> controversial but normally like we would not recommend doing a stretch and sleep after the waters have broken just because of the mm. risk of infection but I said to her I was like can you please give me a really good stretch <laughs> and sleep um, yeah. and when she did it like amazingly I was already she said that the cervix was quite thin and it already stretched out to four centimeters so obviously all the prep that I had done and like my body was just ready Mm. so that kind of gave me this boost of confidence like yeah this is going to happen my body knows what to do um Mm. and it will all be okay and then I asked Alex on the way home from the acupuncture to make sure that he took like the bumpiest route possible (laughs) um over all the rural roads and I started to get a little bit of like backache um on the way home I got home that evening and I decided to have a really good carby dinner. Um, I bounced on my Swiss ball. I got the breast pump out that luckily I'd sterilized that morning and started doing some nipple stimulation with that. And I rubbed clary sage oil all over my belly. And I said to Alex, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go and get an early night, um, but we need to set up the birth pool first. So got that all set up and we pulled out the liner and the liner was the wrong size. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay. We contacted the doula that we'd hired it from and just let her know what was happening. And so Alex had to whip out and get the correct size liner. Um, and it was quite a stormy night. So I was real anxious with him driving on the roads. But as soon as he got home, I felt like I could finally just relax. And we just climbed into bed and had a cuddle and I fell asleep and got an early night. And at 9pm, I got my first contraction and it was like long and very intense right from the beginning. And it was really low down in my belly, which was unusual because often labor does like start in the lower back and kind of slowly Mm. move forward around to the front. Um, But they remained really long and intense right from the beginning but stayed about 20 minutes apart for the whole night. And I think I got to maybe like 3 a.m. in the morning. And I just thought to myself, oh, my goodness, this labor is going to go on for days. Like I've got so Mm -hmm. much further to go. These contractions have to get so much closer together. Like, uh, yeah, and I tried as much as I could. I knew that I needed to get as much rest as I could for what I thought was early labor Um, Mm. because, it could go on for days so I just wanted to make Mm. sure I was well rested and I tried to Mm -hmm. avoid using any of the things that I had at home um for pain relief like I never put the TENS machine on I didn't use the heat pack I'd literally like wake up um have a contraction they would last for up to two minutes at a time which is super long and Mm. I just roll onto my hands and knees on the bed or I would stand up and kind of like sway my hips um Mm. with my hands on the bed and then weighed out the contraction. I just focused on two affirmations the whole time. Um, something somebody said, I still can't remember who this was, but they said to me a few <laughs> days before I went into labor, if anyone can do it, it's you. And that it's like makes me so emotional now to think about it because mm. that was never one of the affirmations that I focused on prior and like in the lead up to labor but during labor I just focused on that every contraction that is what got mm. me through and I just kept repeating it over and over um and yeah it was really helpful those birth affirmations mm. and the other one was like the only way out is through like there's no other option you yeah. just have to get through this so yeah. um contracted and then would climb back into bed and fall asleep and mm-hmm. yeah that happened right throughout the night until about five 40 a.m. I woke up and um I thought like I I need to go to the toilet I've got a fair bit of pressure like maybe I need to do a poo so I had a contraction and then I made it to my doorway at our bedroom before I had the next one and right opposite our doorway we've got like a um a table that we keep in our hallway and then I put my hands on that and I felt myself like rise onto my tippy toes And I Mm. thought, like, oh, I know what that means. Like, I've only ever seen people do that when they're fully dilated. So Mm. luckily for the next, like, third contraction in a row, I made it to the toilet and I felt myself 
pushing and <laughs> Alex had at this point slept the entire night like I think he woke up once or twice to be like are you okay babe and I was like yeah just go back to sleep it's all good like I've got yeah. this um and I actually did a VE on myself and um, I didn't even bother checking if there was any cervix left because the head was so low that I knew that mm-hmm. I was fully dilated. There like could not have mm-hmm. been any cervix. And so I yelled out to Alex and he just like leapt out of bed and ran down the hallway. And I said, you need to call the midwife. I'm pushing. Like this baby is coming. <laughs> um, and <laughs> he's like in panic mode trying to call the midwife <laughs> and Kat, our birth photographer, and my mum as well, who'd actually travelled up the day before and was staying with Alex's parents um, just around the road from us. So mum made it here first, about 6pm. And I, by this point, like I'd made it from the toilet out to the lounge where my whole birth space was all set up. And I just remember mum like she was standing at the sink trying to help Alex fill the birth pool. And she looked at me and she was like, where's the midwife? In my mind, I was like, don't worry, mum, I'm right here. This is going to be okay. Like if they don't make it, we'll be fine. (laughs) Um, And Alex was just like fiddling around with the hoses, trying to fill the birth pool. And it was driving me crazy because in the end he had to like stand and hold it on the tap. So I just said, just give up. Like I Mm. wanted my heat pack because I had quite a bit of pain like on my pubic bone by this point. Um, And I wanted wanted him to get like cool flannels for my head and turn my playlist on and get some hot water for some um flannels for my perineum so I was like just give up we're not using the pool Mm. like it was about 10 centimeters full and I was just like that's pointless (laughs) um and then Kat arrived and she just started snapping away and honestly I didn't even notice like she was there the whole time Mm. She just kind of blended into the background. Um, and then my midwife arrived at 20 minutes past six in the morning. So my midwife was um, actually off call for the weekend. And um, she hadn't like told us this, but she was sticking around just in case I went into labor. And so I'd called the like my backup midwife, Julia, the day before when my waters had broken to give her a heads up. And obviously she'd gone and said to Joe, like, oh, Becca's in labor. Um, she might be having a baby at some point. And then, um, yeah, when the first midwife arrived, it was Joe, our own midwife. And I was just so happy to see her. And she brought in all of her bags and she wasn't wearing a mask. And <laughs> Alex didn't tell me until afterwards. But because she walked in with no mask on, he didn't recognize her. Like he had come to all of our appointments throughout pregnancy Mm -hmm. and met her a number of times, but she was always wearing a mask. And at my birth, I was like, I just, I don't want it to feel like a clinical space. Like I just want it. These are people that I would catch up with as colleagues with no masks on. So like, why are you going to come into my birth space wearing a mask? Um, Yeah. So Joe arrived, I think it was about 20 minutes past six. And as soon as she walked in, I had been trying like ever since I'd come from the toilet, like quarter to six so for just over half an hour I'd been trying not to push but obviously my body was like involuntary pushing anyway and as soon as I saw her walk in I was like okay I can do this like I can finally work with my body and do what I need to do and just started pushing um him out and then our backup midwife Julia arrived shortly afterwards and I was just on my hands and knees on our lounge floor um and push for just under half an hour because he was born at 6.44 a.m. So I could just I still remember that feeling of like my bones shifting <laughs> in my pelvis yeah. as I was pushing him down <laughs> um, and that ring of fire, which honestly was not as bad as I expected it to be. But um, yeah, I just tried to birth his head nice and gently. And then uh, normally like the head will come out, at which it did, it felt like a huge relief for me. And then usually you kind of wait for a second contraction for baby's body to be born. But he just came like he was flying on out. And mm-hmm. um, Alex got to catch him with su- the support of Joe. And he was kind of raveled up in his cord all around him. So they just unraveled the cord from around him, um, passed him through to me, through between my legs. And somebody had put a towel down in front of me. And me, like, honestly, my entire labor, um, I was thinking real logically about everything and just out of habit, like, even though I've just 
been past my own baby I still did as a midwife would do and used this towel to like very gently wipe down his <laughs> face and yeah. dry him off and then I saw that he was a boy um so I said like oh my goodness it's a boy and mm-hmm. just yeah picked him up and brought him to me for a cuddle and just burst into tears and it was just the best feeling in the entire world like the biggest high that you could ever feel yeah. Yeah. oh god it's so amazing and I bet you it feels well I don't know I can just imagine that it feels so surreal that like it's actually your baby like you've attended yeah. so many births but this was actually you <laughs> yes yeah it's so like it's such a surreal feeling yeah. Yeah, yeah amazing and what sort of happened like from there talk us through the next couple of minutes and into the sort of first hour of Miller being born yeah, so I have a negative blood group, um, but I had requested that we still keep the cord attached for as long as we can and just take the sample of blood that we needed to test Miller's blood group um, from the placenta. So we left the cord attached. Um, I kind of like went back onto my hand, onto my bottom and just leant against the side of the birth pole. So it did serve a purpose in the end. Um, And yeah, just kind of got to know him, spend time with him. And it was so nice just being in our own space. Um, he started to show signs that he was ready to have a feed so I put him on the boob myself and had quite like wicked after pains um so just I was actually like squatting over um an ice cream container and then by this point when the placenta was ready to arrive the cord had stopped pulsing, so we'd cut that and passed Miller um, to Alex for some skin-to-skin. He was just cuddling him and, yeah, squatted over this container and coughed my placenta out, um, <laughs> which was such a weird feeling. And then uh, Joe had to do some fundal massage. My blood loss was completely normal, thankfully. Um and yeah after that like I did I had I continued to have really really bad after pains for it was honestly like about 10 days they were worse initially but turned out um once the placenta arrived Joe said to me I can't confirm that it's all there like the membranes were trailing a little bit Mm. so just keep an eye out for heavy bleeding um any signs of infection and things like that and so I did and I did everything I could to try and prevent myself from getting an infection um and would just make sure that I was doing a fundal massage regularly as well my bleeding remained totally normal for that first 10 days but then when Miller was 10 days old I went to the toilet and I passed this really really long like probably about or 15 to 20 centimeters long piece of membrane (laughs) (laughs) which thank Mm. god it came out like on its own and I didn't need any Mm. um help to pass it and I didn't develop any infection but yeah that led to me having these horrific after pains so I just lived with my heat pack and any time that I wanted to breastfeed I knew that I needed to take pain relief beforehand otherwise it was going to be way worse um Mm. but yeah we it was just the most beautiful morning like because he kind of arrived right as the sun was coming up um it'd been such a stormy night and then all of a sudden like it was this beautiful day and we just had the sun streaming into our lounge and we were just cuddling him on the couch and getting to know him and I still had my birth playlist playing in the background I remember our wedding song came on which was so special Mm um and we just had like a cooked breakfast and just so different to being in both a birthing center mm. or a hospital. Like when you're in your own space, I've got to go and like have a shower in my own shower. And my mum helped me mm. um, like to get dressed and everything. And it was, it was honestly the best experience. I would not have done it mm. any other way. And yeah, yeah absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah. It sounds incredible. <laughs> I can't wait to see the photos. <laughs> Um, awesome. and talk us through um yeah what sort of happened from there how did you go I know you mentioned earlier about his latch and needing the colostrum mm-hmm. so what sort of happened there and yeah talk us through the next um day or so yeah so he actually fed really well for the initial feed um I fed mm-hmm. him on both sides and 
think the first side that I fed him on, like I thought, oh yeah, that, that feels comfortable enough. But actually I did a little bit of damage in that first phase. And then when I put him on the other side, it was actually comfortable. Um, so mm. the silver cups were a lifesaver over the first week. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, yeah, he then after that feed, like had his first sleep. And when he woke up, he just refused to latch. Like, I don't know if he was a bit sleepy or mm. what was going on. He'd kind of just like, sit at the boob and open his mouth but not put any effort in and mm. I knew I was doing everything I could um to get him on and didn't need any extra support because I knew how to latch baby but mm. he just wasn't playing the game so mm-hmm. we just fed him with syringes of colostrum that I had expressed antenatally uh yeah. until I think maybe it was like just going on 36 hours and I said to Alex like, if he doesn't latch for this next feed, I'm going to have to get my pump out because by this mm-hmm. point, like, he should be feeding every few hours and I'm not getting much stimulation at the boob apart from what I've been hand expressing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was kind of preparing myself for the fact, like, if he didn't latch, I was going to get the pump out and then he latched and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, fed beautifully ever after that. Yeah. 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 Mm, amazing. Cheeky dude. He was just having a little break. Yeah. <laughs> just needed that recovery period (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah awesome and how did you feel like mentally obviously there's all these hormone changes and like you've got a new baby and like lack of sleep and all of that stuff so how were you feeling in that first sort of week um post birth I just I honestly felt like I could do absolutely anything the biggest Mm. high like feel like my birth was like euphoric in a way mm, um mm. and so powerful so yeah I I was on top of the world and nothing <laughs> could bring me down <laughs> um I, I recovered yeah. really well afterwards like I didn't have any tearing I had a small graze um on the inside of one of my labia but yeah normal blood loss no tearing like felt really good um in terms of my body and so I think like that really helped in my recovery mentally as well and because I'd been Mm. able to have this birth that I had envisioned and that I felt like I'd worked so hard for Mm. um and in a way like even though I haven't experienced birth trauma in the past like it still felt like a really healing experience Mm. from um yeah the traumatic events that I did have when I was younger yeah um yeah yeah. yeah, so just it was amazing yeah and I've been very very lucky that like Miller's quite a relaxed little guy and he's always Mm -hmm. fed um quite well like he won't take a bottle still which is a bit of a pain but (laughs) other than me having mastitis a few times um we've had yeah a a really cool postpartum journey so far um Mm -hmm. and I've been coping really good with my mental health yeah Amazing. And with the mastitis, did you have to take the antibiotics or did you do anything else that helped with that? I probably uh, probably should have, but no, I managed to avoid it. I just like yeah. ran out the fever and body aches and stuff. Um, oh, I think the awful, worst part of mastitis, mastitis for me, yeah, it was, it's almost like the, the body aches, like you ache down to your bones. And every time I get mm. mastitis, it almost feels as though I'm giving birth again because I can just feel so mm. achy in my pelvis, like, remembering all those bones shifting as I was pushing him out um but yeah I I just took um homeopathic medications Panadol ibuprofen and used the like heat and ice pack method um Mm -hmm. in the reverse lymphatic massage and every time it seems to have settled down within a day or so so um yeah never never had to take antibiotics thankfully (laughs) yeah awesome and was there anything like any products or anything that you did um, physically that you found like aided in your recovery or that you'd recommend to other mums listening to this podcast um, to support with post-birth recovery? Yeah, definitely. I've got a list actually, but the main (laughs) ones I can remember off the top of my head, um, 100% the silverette cups. I've actually now bought a pair that I keep in my postpartum kit to like lend to my clients because I just know how amazing they are. Um, I love, the Pure Mama Nipple Butter, um, and I used Arnica Spray um, in that recovery journey as well, which I think was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
absolutely love the Tom's maternity pad. So for the first week I used like an adult diaper and I'd put that yeah. pad inside. I just felt that was so soft and I've, I'd mm, never worn pads too. in my life until that point. So yeah. um, the wings on other pads would really annoy me, but these ones are great. Like you just rip one strip off, put it inside the adult nappy and I would only have to change that normally unless it kind of leaked out the side. Um, yeah. And then I yeah. continued using those for a few weeks as well um what else yeah I think those are the main ones really yeah awesome cool and what about things that have helped you with Miller like whether it's um a particular like did you swaddle or did you like what did he sleep in all of those different types of things that you think about as a first-time mum um was there anything Mm -hmm. that you'd recommend to other mums or that really helped you in those first few weeks of like learning about each other (laughs) yeah um well, that feels like a bit of a blur now, hey? <laughs> so <laughs> we tried to avoid using, like, I didn't want to have to rely on anything if we didn't need it. And yeah. so initially, like, I didn't even swaddle him. I just put him down and, like, tuck him in really tightly with a little blanket into his bassinet, our co-sleeper. Um, that's probably one of the things I'd recommend, having a co-sleeper, because it's a lifesaver when you just roll over in the middle mm. of the night and he's right there ready to pick up and go. <laughs> um. Yeah. And yeah, we we never used a dummy. I just kind of like kept all these things in my back pocket just in case we'd have to use them. Um, mm. It wasn't until he was maybe, I want to say like a month old that I started using a little sleep sack and I just kept his arms in at that point because that's when his startle reflex started to become a bit more pronounced and seemed to be waking him Mm. up during his nap so yeah we started with arms in and then um eventually transitioned him to arms out in there and those are great um yeah no like I say he's very lucky to have quite a cruisy little guy (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think the main um, main thing that I've had is just incredible support from um, family and friends as well which yeah yeah, is invaluable really yeah absolutely yeah cool and what about you and Alex how have you found the transition to parenthood and adding this little human to your relationship and your family um Mm -hmm. and are you still on parental leave now what does that all look like for you guys yeah honestly like I feel like it's just strengthened our relationship so much um and there's still hard days and we still have Mm. like little arguments every now and again but overall like we're just yeah so much stronger as a couple and a family unit um so he he actually like he had a couple of weeks off after Miller was born and by three days he was like I'm so bored I'm just gonna go back to work and do a few jobs because (laughs) he was like you're all over this you know what to do Miller just sleeps most of the time anyway um and he just got he just he's just not a homebody like has to be outside doing stuff so Mm. he went back to work and um yeah still had a fair bit of time off during the day to spend time with us which was great and support us in the ways that he needed to um and work-wise like I've actually just recently returned to work um well to be honest like when when you're an LMC midwife if you've got any clients technically you're on call for them and my best friend told me that she was pregnant when Miller was six weeks old so I've been caring for her since he was six weeks old but (laughs) yeah I started booking clients maybe a month or two ago and I just do one day in clinic a week at the moment um and it's not until July that I actually have people due to give birth so Mm -hmm. uh my midwife partner is currently traveling and she arrives back at the start of July and we're just going to go back to how we've always work together because we have an incredible partnership um and yeah from there it's just going to be a bit of a juggle in getting to figure out our new routine with a baby Mm. we do um every second week on call so it's just going to be making sure that I have that wraparound support and like Mm. a plan a b and c for Miller just in case Mm. um but we're just going to take like a lighter caseload than we normally do just to ease back into it really yeah yeah awesome amazing well is there anything else Becca that you'd want to add to your story or you feel like we haven't covered or anything that you'd sort of tell to somebody listening to this episode before we close 
Yeah, I don't think so. I think I've covered everything. Um, <laughs> but the main like pieces of advice that I would give to people is just make sure that you do as much research as possible throughout your pregnancy and listen to all <laughs> those positive stories and keep an open mind. Like um, even for me going through IVF, like I still knew that home birth was an option and wanted mm. to make it happen and did everything I could to do so. Um, yeah. And just knowing, like, knowing that pregnancy shouldn't happen to you, it happens for you. And so taking mm. ownership of that and, like, anything that happens throughout your journey should always be your choice and with your consent. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just learning as much as you can and making the most of such an incredible journey and don't mm-hmm. take it for granted. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you, Becca, for joining me on the podcast today. I've absolutely loved our chat. And I know that there'll be so many people out there who take something from your episode. So I'm very grateful for your time and that you are willing to share with us all. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales and a reminder to make sure you go and check out your birth project if you are looking for birth education or shopping for anything pregnancy, birth or postpartum related. I will be back on Thursday with another beautiful birth story. Thanks again for choosing to have me in your ears. I am so grateful every week that you do so. Talk soon.